Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 192 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today's episode is Keeping Your Kids Safe. And as Becky and I discussed the inspiration on this episode, it was question on the intonation of keeping your kids safe or keeping your kids safe. Because this all came about when the CDC released new guidelines on May 19th for back-to-school recommendations on how to keep our kids safe amongst all of the shifts within the pandemic. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the essential needs for children that helps them in their overall growth and development, the necessities for mental and emotional stability. We're going to, of course, reincorporate the importance of a symbiotic environment and how the innate and acquired immune system works, as well as unpack these updated guidelines and how they could lead to detrimental impact on our children's growth, development, and overall human experience. So I know this one will be loaded um, for you mamas for sure that are getting the, the belly feelings of maybe some things not being exactly right. And I hope that we all come at this as always with an open mind and open heart and just take a moment to step back to question whether this narrative that we're currently being fed through mainstream media is supporting our households, is appropriate measures, and at the end of the day, what really feels right for our households. Totally. And you did a rant on this when this episode airs, it'll be a couple of weeks back um, on Instagram and it got a lot of attention, especially from the mamas out there. So just wanted to give you more of a chance to kind of expand on your thought process here and also provide some resources and, and talk about what you're personally doing and feeling with Stella in the household and with her transition back to school. Yes. And in today's episode, for those of you non-mamas, <laughs> I still think very relevant. Uh, we're going to be talking about things like herd immunity, uh, you know, how the acquired immune system works, uh, the updates on where we're at right now with vaccination, and just kind of an, an update on the pandemic as is and where we're both kind of sitting on it. All right. And before we jump in, for those of you listeners who have not yet joined our virtual keto program or thought that you missed it, we'll be coming up on class two when this episode comes out. You can still join active through class three because we do archive the classes, meaning that you can watch them kind of at your own pace. We do recommend, you know, setting out and carving out a time so you don't get really, really behind with all six of the live classes, but you can still join through class three. So we've been already getting a really good rev in our Facebook group and getting really excited to kick off the program. And I know that we'll be um, on a trajectory already by class two of, of seeing a lot of success. 
Absolutely. So let's get started. Today's episode is sponsored by Fond. Y'all know that I am obsessed with bone broth in all of the ways for the benefits of collagen, gelatin, and acetylcysteine as an expectorant and a white blood cell booster, very relevant for immune concerns and times, as well as the L-glutamine that bone broth provides to support uh, the gut lining, reducing food sensitivities and supporting against inflammation. What's awesome about Fond is they really take bone broth to the next level. Their bone broth is artisan, sustainable, and functional. What that means is that every ingredient is hand picked and paired to optimize absorption and taste. So they add things like turmeric and cracked pepper to further enhance the anti-inflammatory effects or beets and hot peppers, which are fantastic flavor profile, provide a really robust, cool red color, but also support detoxification. Um, Their flavors are phenomenal. In fact, they say that they are a sous chef in a jar and I couldn't agree more. Fond bone broth is one of my favorite ways to deglaze a pan and really take a dish to the next level. So I highly encourage that you go on over to fondbonebroth.com and you put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. You will get 10% off and I am telling you, you will be delighted by these sippable broths that are really elixirs, um, both on a health level and flavor profile to just take your health to the next level. So go on over to fondbonebroth.com, use Allie Miller RD, and enjoy exploring all of their variety of delicious flavors. Okay. So I know since all of this began with the pandemic, You've really been talking about the palpable level of anxiety in the environment, the importance of mantra and breath work for all of us. Um, I think it's important to talk about how, you know, our vibration and our energy can impact the entire household and, and can create, you know, a different kind of contagion within the household. Absolutely. And that's been kind of one of the, the the language pieces of this that I think is really important is, is the contagion of fear and anxiety and whether that ultimately will have more detrimental effects on, on all ages and all demographics, especially when we're compounding this with the economic influence. Um, but if we're just talking about vibration and energy, the best things that we can do as the you know matriarch of the household or the, the the female energy is to create a routine and ritual just like we spoke about a couple episodes back in the scope of adults you know during this time stamp of things to look forward to things to anticipate things that have a foundation or an expectation. And that's really important for our children as well. And within this, we have to be mindful of sound and the vibration that that puts out. So I really think overall limiting playing the television and news is really important because these (laughs) talking heads, if you will, the kind of constant chatter and provoking with the quantitative data manipulation that we've seen. I mean, I I think that the the media has played such a role on really financially gaining from the panic within this, this 
pandemic. If we think of how the quantitative information has been presented at first, mortality rates were obviously skewed because testing numbers, we weren't allowing accessibility to testing. So if we see less people with positive infection and we only are seeing the death rate, then we're assuming that mortality or death rate is a high conversion, but we weren't allowing that accessibility to see all of the people that were recovering or asymptomatic. Now testing is becoming more accessible as we are shifting from shelter in place into opening and liberating. And so there's going to be the influx of cases and this data is going to be, again, misrepresented to fearmonger to say, oh, you guys are coming out of your shell too quickly. Now the levels are going up, 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 up. And then we're not, we're not speaking loudly enough about how the mortality rate is considerably reducing as we're seeing cases influx. Totally. And, and, you know, within that, finding a way to speak to your household and, and, children about what's going on. I think it's really important to consider your language and, and consider what influences you allow in. So whether it's the news or um, yeah. your conversations about what's going on at large, no matter where you stand on, on some of these issues, um, how are you framing things with Stella and what do you think are some of the important parts there in that conversation? So, uh, I think I spoke again in that episode when we talked about finding, what was that one called Becky, uh, managing healthy habits Health, during healthy times habits of stress during times of high stress, yes, creating healthy like habits that. during high stress. Yes. So uh, again, along those lines, we're really working to maintain within ritual and routine. Um, and so we have a couple new rituals that we've established, like, uh, finding rocks <laughs> and, and painting rocks. And so that's like a weekly ritual. Um, we're doing a lot of wildflower discovery and scavenger hunt, but this past week was Stella's first week back in school, uh, which, which even was an additional heartstring to me because it's been such a process uh, in collaboration with the director of her Montessori school and the teachers to really advocate that the teachers would not be wearing masks and that Stella would have, in, in my perception, a safe and nourishing environment where I felt like she could thrive and she would not have increased agitation or fear or anxiety put on her that were not provoking in our household. Uh, so I really feel like, and again, to, to frame for those of you that aren't familiar, my daughter is uh, almost four years old. And so this whole time through when she was asking about, you know, why the airplanes aren't flying to Hawaii, <laughs> because that's kind of when this all happened uh, in the end of March, we had a family trip that we had been talking about, of course, within our household for months leading up to it and getting swimsuits and talking about playing on the beach and all these things. And so, you know, when we weren't going and when school extended beyond spring break to closure, we had to have a conversation about what was going on and, you know, why she was seeing people wearing masks and whatnot. And so we deemed it as the bad season, that this is just a bad season right now. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts 
of different forms of virus and bugs and people are concerned about getting sick during this time you know last year there's the cold and flu season and so in our household and you know in other areas what we're going to do is make sure we wash our hands really well and at that time we did start using the X-Clear, um, X-Lear uh, nasal spray which we'll talk about at the end of today's episode of interventions of you know supporting your immune system so within the use of that spray we had to of course explain why we were using that and so okay well we're going to use this spray when we uh, leave the house and engage in an environment where we could be exposed and then also when we come back home just to kind of keep our nose uh, fluid and clean and make sure that we're not bringing in a high amount of a viral load and so we just had really matter-of-fact conversations with her and it was always ended with but What's really cool is that your body's immune system is strong and capable and, you know, leaving some autonomy, ownership, empowered language after discussing some of these logistic elements that we were emphasizing further. And, um, you know, she, she right away kind of embodied that of like, yeah, my immune system, I have an immune system. And it's interesting because as we've discussed in, in past episode, uh, we've kind of deemed from Dr. Christian Northrup's uh, language of the great awakening of being this time to pause and recalibrate and, you know, define priorities and what do we want to, to bring out of this great slowdown. And um, so Stella, along those lines in May 1st, started saying, oh, the bad season is over. The bad season is over. And we told her school, she'd be going back to school on, I think it was the 11th is when she started. And um, so we were just at a restaurant a couple days ago and a woman was wearing her mask in the bathroom, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. Because <laughs> we have to unpack the mask thing in general too in today's yeah. episode because yeah. that was a whole nother rant. <laughs> <laughs> but Stella looked at her like in the sweetest way and said, oh, but don't you know the bad season is over? You don't have to be wearing that mask anymore. And it was kind of funny. The woman smiled. Well, you could tell she was smiling by her eyes uh, and, um, you know, was just kind of like shaking her head. And, and I had to explain in front of the woman like, well, Stella, you know, everyone has a different approach, just like everyone wakes up at different times with their alarm clock. And, you know, some businesses are still mandating that to try to keep people safe. But again, Stella, you have an immune system that knows how to do its work and, you know, we don't don't participate in mask wearing in our household. So we don't want to create any, there's so much polarity going on right now. We don't within our household want to create polarity or hate or a dynamic impact of mask wearers are bad or this mm-hmm. is a good thing and we're better, worse, whatnot. We're just creating identification of what's different and, um, you know, where we sit as a family within, within that, I guess, environment, if you will. And I think that's so important. Just giving kids a why, like they can rationalize they're smart. She's getting this stuff and, and really working to flip that script and, and rewrite the negative. I mean, we were just watching prior to this, a video of a doctor (laughs) engaging with his child and saying, that, you know, we didn't know if coronavirus was ever going to go away. And it just seemed the kid was getting like visibly more and more upset as he's trying to explain this. And it's like, that's not helpful or or beneficial to your child or to your family or to your dynamic here. And, and, you know, that level of trust or, or, um, obviously your child is coming to you for security, right? Right. 
Right. And, and we've even shared with Stella, we're like, you know, it's possible your body already had it and battled mm-hmm. it because I've, I've shared with you guys that, that January, you know, stint that she had where she had uh, an entire week out of school and was pretty much <laughs> laying down and just working that fasting fever rotation. And her fever was 104 couple times, uh, three different days during that seven day stint. Um, so, you know, we've even kind of playfully been like, you know, your body is so capable. Remember how strong your body was. We don't know what it was fighting because in our household, we don't really jump on to identifying strain or whatnot. We just know holistically that your immune system can do great work. And she'll be like, oh yeah. And then how about that one time when I threw a burger on Papa, (laughs) (laughs) which was a different stint. And it's like, yeah, that's also your immune system capably identifying probably a pathogen. You know, I mean, it definitely was a pathogen. We don't know if it was a foodborne illness. We don't know if that was a virus. It could have been rotavi- you know, we could have been yep. in many things. Um, but yes, that's another great example, Stella, of how your immune system knew it needed to get rid of that burger and it happened on Papa's shirt. <laughs> but yeah, even at four, like she's capable of these conversations. She's getting it totally. Yep. So if, if you aren't limiting, and I want to get back to kind of like the sound vibration thing. So we have to plant seeds of hope in all ages, but especially in our children. Mm -hmm. We have to ensure that if there's daunting uh, messaging that is, um, you know, pandemic language that is mortality, death, scare, fear, they're seeing people wearing these, these hazmat, you know, suits and masks. And and this looks very scary um, to children. And so we have to be sure that we're planting seeds of positivity and that we're also creating a vibration and sound of safety and security. So maybe that means that you're more intentional with playing music in the household or you're more intentional in making music or singing together as a family. But finding ways to create sound that feels secure, it feels grounding, and it's really nourishing the soul is equally as important as limiting, you know, just like food as medicine is that double-edged sword, right? We're removing the pro-inflammatory, adding in the abundance of the the, the anti-inflammatory, similar mechanisms in the household. So both the, the limitation of the constant playing of the anxiety exposure media but also planting seeds of, of positivity, really important as well. And we've been playing a lot more music. We've pulled all of our instruments from the playroom into the kitchen. And we kind of have this, now that dinner is the event of the family, we have this nice ritual where Stella helps Brady put on a record. We talk about the music, we listen to it, and um, we're, we're finding that balance together in that collective energy. Totally, I love that. All right. So before we get into some of the details of, of children's needs, maybe for optimal health and supporting their immune systems during this time, let's just talk about kind of general emotional needs of young children. And this is coming from Mental Health America. Okay. So there are many basics, but some that I want to kind of call out. Um, unconditional love from family, self-confidence and high self-esteem, the opportunity to play with other children. There's a lot of information in this uh, resource about peer engagement and how that's varied from the engagement one one would get from a teacher or a parent or you know a, a caretaker. And I think that that's a really big area of impact that we personally experienced um, throughout this whole approach. You guys know my stance has been that. 
uh, quarantine. Sorry, Becky, I'm going to go on a sidebar and then I'll come back. (laughs) Quarantine is for the sick. Um, and so, you know, this, this whole timestamp, I really felt like shelter in place should have been limited at groups of 50 or more and being mindful of the bodies that you've engaged with, because the whole idea was to not overwhelm hospital systems so that if there was contagion, we could track and connect and understand which bodies had been exposed to the carrier, if you will. And so, you know, I remember back in uh, the beginning of March, there was like a little pop-up or something. I don't even know how it got to me on my computer. And it was like, if you know the last 10 people you've engaged with, you're doing well at your social distancing. And I've kind of maintained within that spectrum the whole way. We never went to the like her not seeing her grandparents or I've, I've ensured throughout this whole process, especially with Stella being an only child, that she actually engaged with at least one other child every single week during shelter in place because I thought that the ramifications of the health impact of me trying to play kitty for the hundredth time <laughs> would not be favorable. And there's just nothing that replaces that child um, awe and um, imagination experience. And so we ensured that there was another family with another you know, only child that Stella and her would get together at least once a week. And then we would try to get her with her cousins as well. So this, this impact with peers, I think is a really important one that I, I wanna emphasize. And, and you'll see how the CDC guidelines try to dissolve that. And that's really disheartening to me. Um, so the opportunity to play with other children. Encouraging teachers and supportive caretakers, safe and secure surroundings, appropriate guidance and discipline, and then giving children unconditional love. Um, They note that children need to know that your love does not depend on his or her accomplishments, uh, mistakes and or defeats should be expected and accepted, that confidence grows in a home that is full of unconditional love and affection. Um, we want to nurture children's confidence and self-esteem. And then I want to call it in the language that they have by children need playmates. Sometimes it's important for children to have time with their peers. By playing with others, children discover their strengths and weaknesses, develop a sense of belonging, and learn how to get along with others. Consider finding a good children's program through neighbors, local community centers, schools, or your local park and recreation develop department. And this is, you know, for kids that would be before the school age. Um, and, and this is not pandemic specific. This was just general language. And then they go on to having warning signs um, in the mental health awareness. So we're looking at warning signs like decline in school performance, poor grades despite strong efforts, regular worry or anxiety, which I keep hearing more and more of from parents and clients, repeated refusal to go to school or take part in normal children's activities, hyperactivity or fidgeting, persistent nightmares, persistent aggression or disobedience, frequent temper tantrums, and depression, sadness, or irritability. And I think that second piece, for sure, we have to acknowledge that, you know, we're still actively going through kind of a traumatic event here. And again, depending on how proactive you've been and how you've framed it within your household, it may look different. But, you know, as children do go back to school, you know, being aware of of some of those signs of regression and, you know, signs that they might need a little bit of extra support in their transition. 
Absolutely. And and that's where right now establishing the routines and rituals are really important. Again, I know that sometimes in the household, it's like, oh, one less thing to worry about. But getting, you know, it, it, at this point, I would highly recommend not letting your child spend all day in their pajamas, for instance. You know, it's really important to get back into that some level of a routine that is timely, that incorporates, you know, hygiene and changing your clothes Mm -hmm. and having a structure, if you will, because that's where children and adults feel most accomplished, checking off boxes, knowing what to anticipate, knowing what the completion of that task looks like. And it's not just the end of a program that you're watching on TV. Totally. Totally. That might've been okay for like the first week of unknown, but you know, going back to like when I was teaching preschool, we had a literally minute by minute schedule of like, okay, this is morning circle time. And this is when we all line up to go get snack and, and, you know, creating that for whatever level of, um, child, you know, whatever is appropriate to your child and, and level of readiness and, you know, for yourself as an adult too, I think really important. (laughs) Then you don't look into the abyss Uh and it's 9am and you're like, Oh God, it's only (laughs) 9am. Scrolling on your phone for 45 minutes. That probably shouldn't be part of the routine, but I think for a lot of us has, has become that. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, let's get in a little bit deeper on what about needs of a child's immune system for optimal development? Because we have to acknowledge that, you know, from the time that children are born, they are interacting with, with potential pathogens and developing an immune system. And it's actually a very important part of their health and development. Yes. And this is sourced from myself, to be fair. (laughs) This is not, uh, you know, in the main rhetoric or narrative of of what are the needs of a healthy, robust immune system in any way, shape or form throughout this entire damn pandemic. Let me just say, Um, there's been very minimal discussion on how the immune system works. I think that the general public has no idea about the variants of our innate immune system versus our acquired or adaptive immune system. And they have no idea about the influence of how we're hearing the comorbidity connection of lifestyle medicine or the impact on dietary destruction of health, if you will, I guess, you know, in in the lightest way I can say, isn't it what only 12% of Americans are not metabolically handicapped? Is that the best way to say it? What are we saying? What's what's the appropriate way to not hurt feelings, but to say that hypertension, obesity, and diabetes are an extreme influencing factor of complications with this pandemic? And a pandemic in and of themselves, honestly. Right. Right. So um, what are your child's immune system needs for optimal development? I would, of course, first start with nourishment. Um, and, you know, nourishment doesn't just mean providing the calories needed for the child, but to state that with this shelter in place, when we're looking at socioeconomic stratification and we're looking at areas of high need as far as homelessness and food insecurity and now the compounding variable of what is it 36 million unemployed right now last counts probably higher as of this week but i haven't looked yeah last i looked was i thought 34 and then someone Mm -hmm. corrected me it was at 36 36. million yep so 
And, and, and where we've heard statistics like for every 1% unemployed increases mortality or death count by 39 to 40,000 people when you compound the impact of, you know, food insecurity and suicide and all of what comes with joblessness, right? So nourishment is super important. And the fact that now that schools have been closed, many children relied on the, their school program to be their one square meal per se. With that being said, we could have an entire episode on school meals. <laughs> For me, nourishment means providing protein in a biological form, which is extremely important. So this is the child having at least a sound meal, but hopefully at least two meals a day. I like to ensure Stella has all of her three meals with protein and biological meaning coming from an animal product. So this is like egg, this is like grass-fed whey and making your child a smoothie, which is another boost with those immunoglobulins in there. This is like them eating grass-fed burger or steak or pork tenderloin or chicken thighs, you name it. But protein really important because not only do we get the amino acids that are essential for them to build antibodies to antigen and we see the impact of low protein nourishment status on our immune system very important for immune health but there's also micronutrients in many of our protein choices like zinc and when we're talking about things like vitamin a a lot of these are more bioavailable in the animal form so protein containing foods from a biological source and then the other nourishment factor I would look for is variety of fruits and vegetables in the diet and um, hydration within that, um, clean water and maintaining a good hydration status. Now to layer on, I'll, I'll, I'll wait on the layer on because we'll do that at the end, right, Becky? Yeah, sure. we'll talk about yes. like multi-avail yep. kids and that yep. stuff. So yep. nourishment is important. A sanitary environment. And within a sanitary environment, I have a caveat of limiting toxic cleaning materials. Um, we are going to do an entire episode on like the symbiotic environment in which we live and the delicate strains of connection of like our soil and our industrialized farming techniques and kind of how we're all in this over sterility approach. But my great concern when I'm looking at these CDC guidelines of cleaning materials and I'm seeing all these businesses that are opening and using hospital level sanitizers is that not only are they sterilizing to our microbiome, but they also are highly toxic. So a lot of these places like your hair salon or whoever now is using these cleaning agents does not have the same ventilation mm -hmm. or practices for sanitization with staff having appropriate equipment. And that makes me really freaked out that we're going to see cancer and neurological disease just totally skyrocket following this impact. So a sanitary environment, yes, but limiting toxic cleaning materials. Movement is essential for for the child's immune system for optimal development. Um, this means that they're gaining musculature, strength, and they're also getting good activity. Ideally, some movement outdoors would be optimal. Sleeping for eight plus hours a night is essential for optimal immune system health. Maintaining a low stressed environment. We know that when cortisol levels go up, that that suppresses the immune system. Uh, having optimal vitamin D status and sunshine. So y'all know that, you know, from infant on, that's really one of the supplements that now finally we're seeing in the pediatric world as being a big recommendation right up there with iron. 
Um, and so vitamin D status and sunshine exposure, kids getting out in the sun for at least 30 minutes a day, but really it should be multiple hours, but at least that first 30 minutes without sunscreen and having exposure to really manufacture that 10,000 international units that the body needs for optimal immune function. A connection with something greater than self. Um, and this is one that just kind of I manifested in the list because I think it's so important. I saw on my feed today um, a picture from a year ago of Stella hugging a tree. And I just think this, whether it's connection to family, community, or nature, being connected to something greater than ourselves gives us hope in humanity. And it gives us this, this um, positive outlook of, of being a part of something greater. A robust immune system requires exposure to antigens. So, you know, we have long released the hygiene hypothesis. And in fact, there is so much research that looks at um, the exposure of children to, to, for instance, pets in the household. Um, there was a study that looked at children's age seven and eight. It was 1,029 children that were assessed in this, and they were looking at allergies. And they saw that um, there was only 49% in children that had a pet um, in their first 12, excuse me, there were 49% of children that had allergies had their first 12 months of life with no pet. And this fell to 43% if they had one pet, it fell to 24% if they had two or three pets. And so there seems to be a load of the more exposure, um, that a child has because pets bring in pathogenic bacteria, they also have their own allergens and danders, that that actually stimulates and makes a more strong immune system. Another study looked at 249 kiddos from birth, and after eight or nine years, the rate of allergies was 48% for children who had no exposure to pets in their first year, 35% for exposure of one pet, and again, 21% for exposure of two or more. So there is a definite relative relationship that we see. The higher the exposure, the, the lower the risk of allergies, and we see this actually beyond allergies in eczema, we see this in um, asthma as well, so upper respiratory function we see, especially with the inhalants of the dander. And over time, what we'll see is as we continue to obstruct airways, if we do, um, and we disconnect this symbiotic exchange that we have through our nasogastric um, expelling, inhaling, and exhaling, right? Our, our, our process. We're we are as a community symbiotically sharing each other's airways up until this this nuance of the mask wearing, and so I fear that that is going to suppress the immune system's ability to get stronger with that challenge. Totally. So needing exposure to develop a robust immune system. I think that's so important to emphasize. And also Byron, if you're listening, I guess there's evidence for us to get at least one more pet before <laughs> we have our baby. Um, we've got two, so we're, we're pretty good, but it seemed like the two plus was really uh -oh. the strongest evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the crazy cat lady. Yep. yep. Um, okay. So I know you've been pretty upset or, or um, kind of up in arms a little bit since um, the 19th when the CDC released these guidelines for considerations for schools. And I think that's important to note that these are just considerations. This doesn't mean that every school must adopt these. But let's go through kind of line by line 
some of the big ones and, and, um, maybe just, um, harp on a couple of the concerns and, and maybe what we could be doing instead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for best emphasis, I'll, I'll list the ones that were the biggest concern and then we can kind of unpack them one by one. And, uh, yeah, I want to share that these are at cdc.gov. So you can go read them yourself. You know, there was an infograph that I shared that didn't have the letter E on guidelines. So, so a couple people were like, oh, this is fake news, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, just to be fair, every time I post something on my feed, I, I take enough um, thought and proactive investigation to put information out there. I, I do not take lightly the, the volume of people that are on my feed and page. And I know that I'm disseminating information and I always will stand by what I share. I had read all of the guidelines when I posted that, and it was a good comprehensive screenshot of the main the main points. And as Becky said, these are considerations. They may change. I hope they do. The more that we talk about this, and um, the concern that I have, though, is that when you look at businesses that are opening and are releasing their shelter in place and going back into operation, what they most of them, I have very limitedly, even in Texas, where we're all about freedom, um, I've in only a very small circumstance witnessed businesses that are not going through the full guidelines of, of CDC. Would you agree with that as far as staff? Yeah, gloves, as far as masks. staff with masks, I've seen that in most places that I've gone and engaged. And to be fair, like you and I probably aren't getting out as much as right. we normally would just because we don't want to deal with some of these guidelines or we're sending our husbands instead. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and my concern is that in the school environment that you know school boards mm-hmm. are concerned about financial um, you know, get, getting their funds and getting enrollment. And so my fear is that they're going to want to abide by these considerations and that it's quite a, a slippery slope. So it, sure. it, I, I want to say on both ends, it may not get this bad. It could get this bad. So this is why we need to talk about it right now. Totally. Okay. So <laughs> teach and reinforce uh, use of cloth face coverings. And then there is a bullet, and that's the exact language, teach and reinforce the use of cloth face coverings. And then there is a bullet that says, not on children younger than two years old. Hmm. Okay. Use of shared objects should be limited when possible. And this is actual language from the CDC. Um, This is in two areas. Uh, They identify things like art supplies, electronic devices, books, other learning aids, and then they use language like avoid and discourage sharing. Okay. Um, It calls out for, which I was pleased to see under the cleanliness or sterility section, ventilation for toxic fumes of disinfectants. And it does call out for, you know, not using certain disinfectants in front of children. I just, like I said, am concerned that that may not always be implemented. And the fact that they are calling out the need for the ventilation, again, to me states that that there is a high toxicity concern of what's being used in an environment that our children are exposed to on a daily basis. Okay, I won't won't break them down. I'm going to just go forward. Direction and orientation section. Desks should be sitting one way, spaced six feet apart. Um, consideration of physical barriers such as sneeze guards and partitions, 
creating one-way routes in hallways and tape on the floors to ensure spacing of six feet apart. Close communal use and shared spaces such as dining halls and playgrounds. So the recommendation is to close the use of these spaces, dining halls and playgrounds. The suggestion was that the children should eat in the same classroom in which they're sitting and that there should be less shifting of classrooms and they should keep groups to single groups. So not exchanging like your child would not have a different group for their social studies class versus their English class versus their XYZ. They would stay in the same classes, same teacher. Uh, Food cafeteria is discouraged as far as production and instead prepackaged boxes or bags, which of course would imply more processed food. And to pursue virtual activities and events in lieu of field trips, assemblies, performances, and spirit nights. Okay, so I already see a lot that's problematic. Just with the implementation alone, I cannot imagine, especially in under-resourced areas, being able to carry out some of these things, first of all. Uh, But let's just get into some of the biggest areas of of concern with some of these main bullet points and and what you see there. Yeah. I kind of want to break down in each one and then let's talk like macroscopically. Um, So I mean, on on a microscopic element... Masks. I mean, I think we first, I just need to pause and talk about masks because yeah, we haven't done this on the podcast yet. No, I mean, and, and, and the, the idea that, that the CDC guidelines were actually calling out cloth face mm-hmm. coverings when of all of the mask types that have been tested, cloth has not been recommended by any organization until now and has actually been shown in research study after research study after research study to actually increase contamination. Okay. So that in itself is just a total weird cognitive disconnect. Um, So when we're talking about masks in general, the concern is that it creates a false sense of security. Yes, there are some studies that show areas like Korea and other areas where droplet count, yes, likely is reduced. And the idea of masks is, is to protect the others from your droplets, just like the idea of a surgical mask in an open sterilized surgery, right? N95 masks are the only masks that are actually proven to protect you from inhaling droplets. And that should be very clearly, you know, denoted. But Potentially, surgical masks and some form of a facial covering should reduce droplet count. Now, there was that one study that looked at the active coughing of four infected infected individuals and the only mask that reduced the droplet count going out from them, so that is protecting from others, was in fact the N95. But I, I, I digress. Even if they do reduce droplet counts, it is the use of the mask and the wearer that has to implement correct use for this to be an effective tool and to not contribute to further driving infections. When individuals that are essential workers are not well trained on the use of their masks, 
and they are wearing the mask, they're likely going to be touching their face more because it's a thing on their face <laughs> that's not comfortable. So they're going to be fidgeting with it, they're going to be touching it more. Also, they're exhaling warm, hot air, which is getting into their eyes, which makes them more prone to take their likely contaminated hands and touch their orifices of their eyes, which is a high risk for infection. Whereas many of us would not touch our eyes if we weren't breathing in that hot vapor or as frequently, and that's been seen in studies. Now, then there's the misuse of the individual because of the mask not being able to communicate as well with others so what do they do when they're crossing a street or talking to someone they pull their mask down mm. and say what <laughs> <laughs> um which is just so silly um i mean have, we, have you seen that i see that i've daily. seen it a ton i was in home depot the other day and i would say like out of the employees wearing the masks probably 50 percent. i saw either taking them off I was there for a good two hours, um, mind you, following Byron around, either taking them off or wearing them below their nose. And it's like, that's not doing anything at this point. It's just a, a symbol. You know. It's creating more surface area, yeah. actually, if you were infected mm -hmm. as an asymptomatic carrier, which we'll unpack that concept in a little bit, but of a surface area to hold more potential contamination versus just expelling it. Um, and the concern is, right, so you might go closer and break your social distancing because you can't communicate as well, or you're removing the mask, which makes it ineffective. And the length of use and the period of time is not effective, right? A surgeon is taking that off after that one exposure, mm -hmm. changing, sterilizing. People that are using cloth masks are hanging them in their car, yep. <laughs> um, re-wearing them to work, wearing them into the bathroom where now we have another surface area of potential fecal contamination mm -hmm. now close to the orifices, right? And then touching the face mask and then touching a, an item and handing it to you off of the shelf. And now you're touching that. Um, so I, I can't make logical sense of it. Um, and is there another big point I want to make? Oh, and then, and then if... Because the masks don't protect us from breathing in anything, right? If we were to breathe in another's exposed droplets and we're wearing the mask, we have a barrier to our ability to exhale, which is our lungs capacity on an innate immune function to expel virus if it was contracted. So now we have restricted airway of expelling and we're actually going to potentially push that virus deeper into our pulmonary system because we're we're dealing with shorter shallow breath we're not getting that deep inhale deep exhale so i'm not going to argue of co2 you know that a lot of people like to say oh you would never get carbon dioxide you know hypoxia or whatnot only in an n95 would you get that which we do see and we are seeing migraines and um, insomnia and a lot of issues with healthcare workers that are having to wear those masks but the, the consideration is that even if you're not getting CO2 overload, you are going to bring in a higher viral load that you're less likely to be able to successfully expel, which is going to increase contamination, and you are breathing in a way that mimics a fight or flight stress response. And that creates this chicken and egg relationship where you're physically with these shallow rapid breaths provoking epinephrine or adrenaline and cortisol release. And definitely that fight or flight anxiety response does hinder your immune system further. And this is mostly speaking about adults, adults. wearing masks. I cannot imagine as a classroom teacher, trying to implement this on children, especially if it's, you know, two plus, you know, a classroom of 
preschoolers, do you know how much they're already touching their faces? They've oh got snotty, runny noses. Like, I, I just, I can't see it as a practical application that wouldn't potentially um, hinder these kids with, with further pathogen load. And not to mention what was my primary concern as a parent and, and why I was communicating with Stella's school before sending her back. I mean, literally one of my emails ended with, Stella will return to your school when I have the confidence that the teacher will be able to smile at my child. Um, because when we're talking about children and we're talking about pronunciation and language, they need to see that connection of nonverbal communication. They need to see that that tongue move, the mouth movements. They need to have a reassuring smile if they're frustrated with a new skill um, or they fall and they skin their knee. Um, they need to learn empathy and have that connection of nonverbal communication as a part of their emotional intelligence. So that to me was a huge element that I just felt that, as, as you said, Becky, the, the symbolism of, of the silence separation of the mask, I think is, is a very loud, broad stroke and something that would hinder connection, safety, empathy, and human experience, especially in the growth and development of a child. Okay. So, so the next one. <laughs> on to the next Use one. Use of shared <laughs> objects and it should be limited when possible. Also, right, when we're talking about collaboration and learning, I mean, sharing is one of the essential skill sets that make us humans or make us superior. I mean, there are even animal cultures, right? We look at like primates, right? And, and actually many different um, animals in the kingdom that share and collaborate. But this is a part of what puts us, you know, in, in the hierarchy of species, if you will. Learning how to take turns and learning how to engage with each other not only helps us in human experience, um, but that also does have a symbiotic bacterial exchange, like I mentioned before. And so there is a, a piece of that puzzle that would be limited. And as you talked about difficulty implementing, that was the biggest thing I heard from teachers is like on computers and iPods, they're like, we have like Mm -hmm. six devices for a classroom of 22 and they're used to sitting in stations and like that's how they that's how they learn and that's how they collaborate because someone might be the primary one on the keyboard but someone else in the group asks a question yep. and if you're isolated you're not going to have that collaboration that growth and, and development skill and I don't think we're about to give schools the funding and resources they would need for <laughs> an individual set of every single supply for every student I don't think we're going to see that so I don't think this is going to be possible to implement whether it was beneficial or not yeah um, I think I hit the the toxic fumes element yep. and the concern of neurological conditions so we'll go and, and the sterility of the microbiome right so that that's a big one there then the direction and orientation I think that's that same idea of collaboration play like community um, connecting eye contact with each other figuring it out when you don't like someone and, mm -hmm. and they're crossing into your barrier versus having a sneeze guard or a partition to, to physically separate you. I mean, how many of you had that annoying boy or girl in your classroom that you had to just navigate, yep. you know? Yeah. Or learn to use your words and right. you know, to, to advocate for yourself. But I think at both ends yep. of the spectrum, a really important piece of the puzzle. And that's what makes, you know, the school environment unique and different from the household. Um, having the playground and dining halls, uh, I mean, I think that that's just a huge part of experience. And as we talked about with like ritual and routine, you need these stamps of your day of like switching locations to help to keep the mind engaged. That 
operates in the brain to transition your spatial awareness, uh, which helps then the brain to be kind of reinvigorated with space to learn. Otherwise, there's this monotonous burnout if you're just sitting in the same room, same desk, same direction and not mixing things up. Oh, yeah. Kids are going to be asleep on their desks. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And this is all with the surfaces, too, not to mention that the CDC has reversed on a lot of what they said about coronavirus actually being able to survive on surfaces as of the past week or so. So just thinking about that within the logic or lack thereof in all of this. Yes. Um, And then, I mean, to take this, and I I did call this out myself um, in my last rant, is that this is, yeah, privileged uh, perspective. But I'm sorry, when I look at things like a virtual prom or a virtual pep rally or a virtual field trip, I, I, when I look at, especially in the preteen and teen space, one directional hallways is just so dystopian and so prison-like to me. This disconnect of being six feet apart, having spatial awareness. I mean, imagine your first crush and putting a note in a locker or like Mm -hmm. pop into someone else's locker or, you know, touch, um, actually like, Ooh, he, he put his hand on my backpack (laughs) or, you know, I mean, there's, how do we awake the human experience of sexual chemistry in this type of environment? And a school should be a safe place for that. I'm not talking about actually having sex, of course. I'm talking about picking up these these human elements of connection and goosebumps and butterflies. I, I can't imagine any of that being viable to any level with these mandates. And uh, right, prom, dances, like these are some of the first areas that with chaperone environment, we should start to explore our sexual chemistry. And that's what keeps humanity alive, making babies, right? I mean, sure. so I think that that's a huge, a huge part of the puzzle as well. Totally. And then um, we didn't touch it. <laughs> Too much on the the um, cafeteria being discouraged and prepackaged bags or boxes of food in the classroom instead. Do you want to hit that before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I think it just perpetuates. It's so unfortunate when we talk about like why. Why is the narrative not empowering us as human population? Why is the narrative not talking as much about comorbidities when we see in research that just in nine days we can go from insulin resistance to insulin sensitivity? There are dietary interventions both by reducing processed refined foods reducing excessive carbohydrates which have broken the metabolism of Americans and the frequency factor of eating if we had messaging on this and people actually could see the data that you have to dig so deep to find clearly in the media and if we had programs that incentivized wellness we would be in such a different state with all of this. But the unfortunate reality is that there is such an intertwined relationship of big pharma and big ag. And when you look at lobbying power in our government, it is disproportionate. Even when you compare things like oil and gas and other multi-billion dollar industries, big pharma is substantially higher on the political power. And big pharma makes money off of big ag because the sicker, more metabolically disrupt the people are, the more medications they need. And I, I, I don't even think that there's any conspiracy element to that. I think it just is. And and so it's, it's unfortunate when we look at like lower socioeconomic status, 
Um, you know, and we look at WIC programs giving access to processed craft cheese or the generic brand, which has soybean oil in it, mm-hmm. but not reimbursing cheddar cheese. Right. There's 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 links that are absolutely disconnected, and we're perpetuating illness and not giving advantage or opportunity for those that can't afford whole real foods. The fact that a burger can be 99 cents at a fast food restaurant and has 37 ingredients in it just does not make any mental sense that a single pound of grass-fed beef or just beef itself would cost more. It, 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 I mean, think of all of the transportation involved to get those 37 ingredients. Think of all of the processing products. The subsidies of big ag really are handcuffing us to big pharma. And, and I, I fear that, that if we don't start to see and call this out and vote with our dollar and continue buying locally, um, that, that that's going to be a big part of the human health demise. Totally. And I think that's a whole episode in and of (laughs) itself. There's so, so much there. Um, Anything else in terms of just areas of concern? Yeah, I want to talk kind of macro. Yeah, let's do it. So I talked about separation and isolation. I mean, this is what makes us humans. So beyond collaborating on a project, I'm talking about language. I'm talking about empathy. I'm talking about dealing with emotions and communication and, and that including in some sense touch, right? And we'll, we'll impact that a little bit further. Um, ego and development of skill set, right? So it, as we talked about the essential needs of a child, that's that peer involvement. You know, you can, as your parent, tell your child how awesome they are, <laughs> but they need to see that experience through others to really determine their placement in, in this world, if you will. Otherwise, they're going have a really skewed ego. <laughs> I'm the best. Um, you know, they need to really be able to, to, to brush up on their skill sets and figure out where they fit within their community and environment. And in this type of segregation separation, they will not have that without collaboration, without hitting roadblocks and problem solving. Trust and fear of an invisible invader, I think is huge area of concern. We're only perpetuating the narrative that you are weak. You need to be in a bigger bubble of protection because there's this invisible thing. It could be on that guy, Tom. It could be on your friend, Susan. So God forbid, you know, you touch their backpack or cross the hallway. Beep, 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 beep. You need to stay one directional and and keep your spatial awareness. Yeah, the cooties conversation just got really elevated. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Um, I talked about sexual chemistry and that developing in a safe place. I think just excitement, joy, and engagement, giving us a greater purpose, something to look forward to. I mean, all of the highlights of my scholastic experience would completely be dissolved with the implementation of, of this, yep. these policies, including things like field trips. Yep. Um, and, and just the concerns of hindering, not supporting the robust immune health. Again, going back to the idea that the barrier of the mask, the sterility of the partitions don't allow a symbiotic exchange of antigen for our body to produce antibodies. For our body to get stronger, it needs to be stimulated or challenged. And let's just dig in a little bit more on one area specifically, touch, um, because I think there's just so much research here alone. And and I know this is a really big area of concern for you. Yeah. I mean, and this is something you can start to implement in your household, especially if you're noticing that your child is, uh, more agitated or having sleep difficulty or, um, seeming anxious. Uh, you see more fidgeting behavior. 
is applying touch more in the household and do that with your spouse as well. Um, but just like a hand on their back or, um, you could draw shapes on their back and have them guess what it is. Um, but we know that oxytocin, which is made by the pituitary in the brain, oxytocin plays a huge role as our bliss hormone, if you will. And that's what helps to offset. It's an actual pain manager. That's what offsets the pain of the birthing process. Um, and so it gives that high of the mama of why they're like in this primal mode and they, they can't experience the pain. Um, oxytocin is released from just hugging alone. It's a natural antidepressant. It supports and inspires positive thinking and maintaining an optimistic outlook on the world, which seems really important at this time. Um, so oxytocin is released through physical touch. You can't mimic that with eye contact <laughs> and you, you literally need that. That's what I was kind of referencing with like the butterfly effect too, that like feeling in the body, right? Um, we know also that serotonin and dopamine are released with touch. And we see research studies on like people that have dogs as a natural antidepressant. We do see that as one positive silver lining here is that all of like the dog animal rescues mm -hmm. have been emptied because people are needed. They're starting to realize that dependency on touch and yeah. not having that because of social isolation. So serotonin and dopamine, two powerful neurotransmitters that have anxiolytic or anti-anxiety effect, anti-depressive effects, bliss, reward seeking, aiding with addictive tendencies. And these aid in trust and stress reduction. We know that physical touch can, on its own, enhance the immune system, it lowers our blood pressure, it reduces cortisol levels, and we see when we look at orphanages or when we look at the importance of like skin-to-skin -skin contact, why now in the birthing process, oh, well, I shouldn't say now because I've read such horror oh, yeah. <laughs> stories about women giving birth during this pandemic, but generally speaking, why we're such big proponents in the medical world of skin to skin contact of now, even like if mom is having issues, the dad right away taking off his shirt mm -hmm. and having the baby on the chest, because we know that there's extreme immunological and developmental delays that we see when we don't have that sensory involvement. And for children that have neurological conditions, some of the best therapy is like joint compressions, touch, massage, sure. stimulus, you know, of different textures on their body. There's just so much solid research on the importance of touch. And I fear that this is a big turning point where we need to speak loudly about this and maintain that connection. And it has to be in a safe space throughout our community, not just in our households. Totally. So, so much there. Um, let's get in a little deeper, maybe on just a couple more of the issues here with uh, the immune system influence of, of isolation and disconnection and just this sterile, you know, approach to separation. Yeah. So, you know, again, pathogen includes bacteria, virus, and germs, right? And so we have hundreds of thousands of all of these things flowing through our body on a regular basis. And symbiotic means that they work in synergy with the host. So as I mentioned, you know, as Becky and I are recording this, like we're sharing a nasogastric tract right now because we're within two feet of each other. And, you know, sometimes I spit on my microphone and whatnot. And, <laughs> and as disgusting as that is, <laughs> this is the normal human experience that we have these symbiotic exchanges. And again, that's what challenges and strengthens our immunity. The more collaborative experience we have, the more diversity we have, the more robust our system is. 
And we can have active immunity through natural disease or vaccination. So, you know, per the CDC, vaccines generally provide immunity similar to that provided by the natural infection. And then they go on to state, but without the risk from the disease or its complications, which I could unpack and state that uh, vaccines due to their adjuvants have guaranteed risk factors. Now, based on how your body's metabolism, genetic mutations, ability to detox and methylate may have a higher impact or, or, or lessened based on the individual's capacity. Um, and I would state likely that the natural infection may have overall across the board less complications. But, but either way, the CDC states that active immunity can be acquired through natural disease or vaccination. And this is when we go back in the times of chickenpox parties, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> before we came out with the vaccine for chickenpox. And the idea that in these communities and symbiotic environments, right, we wanted exposure so that our body could learn its adaptive acquired immunity to build up antibodies to the said antigen to become immune to it. Totally. So, so, so much there too. Um, let's take a quick break for a word from our mid-roll sponsor for this episode, Wild Foods. So you guys know that we are loving Wild Foods. They are a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. And they're making everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms. And we love that every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe, taking their mission seriously to fix the broken food system. And super important now. Yes, totally. (laughs) Emphasize. Yep. And, and they believe like we do that real food is medicine. So wild food has Wild Foods has partnered with us to give you guys an exclusive discount using the code Allie Miller RD. You will get 12% off your order. Let's go into maybe some of our favorite products that we're digging in our own households right now. Yes, I love their wild vanilla powder. It's fantastic because now you can use this in all of your recipes, getting a boost of antioxidants without that alcohol or glycerol byproduct. I love their cacao butter wafers, which is the fat from chocolate. So it's fair trade certified cacao butter, which is a fantastic dairy-free blend into your fatty coffee. I love to do that with a little bit of uh, peppermint. I love their wild matcha. It's probably one that I can state hands down as best quality matcha brand that I can note out there. So you guys know I incorporate matcha in tons of recipes and a lot in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook. Um, Wild matcha is in that ceremonial grade. It's such a bright, uh, robust, vibrant green and fantastic flavor profile. And I'm obsessed with really all of their teas beyond their matcha tea powder. They have tea leaf blends numbered one through 10. I've talked to you guys about the Thai G. I'm now really into their uh, black, their twilight tea, which is a fantastic black tea blend. And we've seen in research studies that tea is such a fantastic way to boost your biological innate immune system. Interferon levels actually have been 
widely increased with regular tea drinkers. Tea has um, all those polyphenols and the tannins that can work as antiviral players and then helping to support that interferon, that robust ability for the immune system to go into battle when need. Um, So I definitely recommend checking out all of their teas. A great way to also extend your fasts if you're doing fasts. Um, They have some also non-caffeinated options for midday, like that Thai G is a... um, rooibos tea, a green rooibos. It's fabulous. Uh, So go on over to wildfoods.co, put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. Check out all of their medicinal mushrooms, their teas, their wild turmeric powder, their matcha. All of this food is medicine that you can add into your pantry and mix up recipes from any of our resources. Wildfoods.co, AllieMillerRD for 12% off and uh, enjoy exploring all of their real food ingredients ingredients. Awesome. All right. Um, let's just unpack a little bit more as we're talking about how the immune system actually works. Um, the element of asymptomatic carriers, because I think people are throwing this word around or, or this phrase around as rationale for mask wearing. Um, let's just unpack that a little bit and, and maybe even get into how vaccines kind of interact with, with asymptomatic carriers and what that means. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I kind of already unpacked how I think that masks are inefficient and how the, the misuse of masks may actually contribute further to contaminating others, as well as if you are exposed to droplets, likely contaminating yourself by increasing that viral load and hindering your own innate immune system from that stress response. So there's that. Um, An asymptomatic carrier, this is someone that has a positive presence of the virus. They have been contaminated, if you will. They've been infected, but they're not showing symptoms of the infection or AKA their immune system is healthy and it determined that there was a foreign invader. It upregulated and it eradicated it so that the viral load did not get high enough to interfere with the function of the body. Um, so maybe they didn't even have to experience high grade fever um, or a significant impact on their respiratory system because they were able to, with ease, eradicate or get rid of it. So An asymptomatic carrier is someone that has a healthy functional immune system. And again, as I mentioned earlier with the quantitative manipulation, we did not speak to asymptomatic carriers with data of like, this is the number of people that are surviving this or recovering from this or have tested positive but didn't even know it. It's instead been skewed of, you could be a carrier and you might not even know it, so you're not safe to not contaminate others. And you, shame on you and your wellness because you could give someone that's compromised the disease and you could kill them. I mean, that's essentially what the the messaging has been. So we're being conditioned to think that people who don't wear masks are non-compliant, they're selfish, they're irresponsible, and they're irrational. But if we, again, unpack the misuse of the mask and the fact that the mask is likely a vector to perpetuate the disease, as well as a vector to separate community (laughs) and break our spirits and dissociate language and all these other elements that we're talking about, oxytocin and connection, there's that whole kind of macro conversation. But if we're just talking about asymptomatic carriers, 
And we're talking about this concept now a little bit of a herd immunity, right? As I mentioned before the break, if you had chicken pox back in the day, you would likely, by getting chicken pox, yes, you're going to get itchy, you're going to be uncomfortable, you're going to have a fever, you're, you're going to get infected likely, not asymptomatically, but symptomatically infected and, and have symptoms, but then your immune system learns to battle it. Well, asymptomatic carriers don't even have to go through the drama of the itchiness mm-hmm. and the fever, right? They're, they're not symptomatic. And if we think of herd immunity as one approach to this, and we know that those that have higher risk factors, which have been clearly established, are those that have comorbidities of lifestyle disease, elderly, or immune compromised, the idea of allowing those who are metabolically healthy to get out into the world to symbiotically exchange their antigens, right? This pathogen for their immune systems to learn about it, to build up antibodies, to combat it is going to allow like any other viral respiratory disease has been carried out through the history of time. It's going to allow it to run its course. It's going to allow it to manipulate if needed, which happens often with wild virus. And, um, that means that the people then become immune together to this. Now, if we're being told that if we test positive, we need to self quarantine for 14 days, that seems to be the active amount of time of shedding the virus to others if infected, right? So if we think about this, what if everyone who was metabolically healthy took off their masks, went outside, hugged their neighbors, went on with life as it was, and for 14 days, two weeks, maybe let's say two to three weeks, those that were immune compromised or metabolically under duress stayed home and sheltered in place for that additional time, we would allow it to run its course and move on. Now, what has not been addressed, because right now what we're kind of being told is there could be a second wind and we just need to wait for the vaccine to be developed. And I I don't even have time or energy to go about what just total BS is going on with the vaccines right now and how so many of them are failing (laughs) and we're seeing antibodies not being developed from the current vaccines Mm -hmm. that are out there and we're seeing severe chronic complications from the trials that are at bay. But right now, this is the message is stay sheltered, stay safe, wait for the vaccine. Um, This could all be behind us if we allowed herd immunity to take its place. Because do you know that everyone that is given a live vaccine, which this will be a live vaccine, is an asymptomatic carrier. In fact, if you go to children's, um, you know, uh, cancer hospitals or any areas where we know people could have neutropenia or low white blood cell count, they're told not to be exposed to individuals for upwards of 21 days. It can be actually multiple Mm -hmm. weeks, right, Becky, that you can shed up to months with some of the um, live active vaccines like measles and things like that. Up to months. Months. So that puts this asymptomatic carrier that anyone that's gotten a live active vaccine is an asymptomatic carrier. How come we don't talk about that in mainstream media until just now? You know, and they're not even going to connect probably the vaccine element. Now think of the idea of if we get, let's say that there is a safe vaccine that comes out, there's no way in hell that everyone ubiquitously is going to be vaccinated on the same day. It's going to be a staggered process. And so again, if we all just stepped outside tomorrow, it would not be a staggered process. Those 14 days of the period of time for the individuals that are at risk to self-quarantine would pass and we move 
onward, but the vaccine will be staggered. It's likely going to be months to be distributed to people. Sure. And then each individual that got vaccinated as an asymptomatic carrier for likely weeks. That timestamp doesn't make sense for a functional economy, for a functional society. And I don't know why anyone's not just addressing that as it is. I don't know either, but <laughs> we haven't been especially rational with, with a lot of the decision-making process. I just read an article out of the UK actually talking about some of the vaccine testing. <laughs> and the concern that was raised was that by the time we have a vaccine, it may not be effective because everyone's already gotten this disease and had it run its course. Like that doesn't mean it's not effective. That means our immune systems have freaking worked, right? Right. <laughs> right. Oh so, my gosh. So you know, much. You know how we, I sit on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, we in our household said May 1st is the great awakening and we're out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so just tear the bandaid off. Yes. Tear the bandaid yep. off. Let's go. Yep. So digging back in on maybe some of the kind of proactive measures that we can be taking here. Um, let's just specifically call out some areas, um, for children to best support them as they do go back to school if they are able, or as we at least shift from shelter in place and they start to have play dates and interaction again, what can we do to support them? So we have some great resources for you out there. Episode 12, episode 68, episode 114, and then also the two on on COVID, specifically 179 and 180, I believe that last one is. Um, So those are great places to to hear about, you know, different supplement support and whatnot, but I'll lay out the, the priorities. When we're talking about the innate immune system, we're talking about enhancing our barrier function and our cell membranes are bilipid. And so healthy fats are really important. And the the abundant side would be to focus on things like your cold pressed olive oil, your quality saturated fats from your meats and your grass fed butter and your lard. Um, we know that fat is really important also for fat soluble vitamins and A, D, E, and K are our fat soluble vitamins. A and D have huge antiviral and immune mechanisms. And you know, as we talk about breaks within the system, when we look at mortality risk factors with insufficient vitamin D status, there are phenomenal numbers that we see for individuals that had a status of less than 29 and even more so when it was an even more deficient level. And so we talk about an optimal vitamin D level at being 50 to 100. Um, This is a time, especially if your children haven't been outside as much, usually going into the summer, vitamin D is not as big of a consideration. Um, But I would say that this is a time that we would all benefit from using vitamin D supplementation. Um, Because again, the optimal numbers of 50 to 100 are not only going to support a robust immune system, but also going to support as a pro-hormone, aid in mood if our kids are being low in the moods, help with seasonal allergies because there's going to be more allergy flares because we weren't exposed to those antigens in the environment, right? Um, So vitamin D, I'm really excited that we did just come out with a liquid vitamin D balanced blend. It's the same relationship of the K1, K2 with the vitamin D in there but I have dosage instructions from infants onward. So if you're not supplementing your kiddos with D, that would be one that I would highly recommend. It is important that the vitamin D is paired with vitamin K1 and K2 to prevent stone formation. Um, So we're talking about things like kidney stones um, and also calcification of soft tissues. So make sure if you don't use the naturally nourished liquid vitamin D with your family, um, you could do the capsule form for adults or or people that can swallow capsules, um, but make sure that 
that if you don't use my brand, you absolutely have one with a K1, K2 blend. Yes. Awesome. And what about just a few other things that maybe you're doing with Stella yeah. after her first week back? Um, what are some of the, the supplements and rituals that you've implemented? Yeah. So gut support is huge. So um, today we're, we're, we did our grocery shopping. So Brady got a rotisserie and we're thawing broth right now. And we've been doing some form of a bone broth soup at least once a week. Um, she gets gelatin in the form of gummies. Um, and I do, uh, a couple times a week now that she's back at school, I'm giving her like a quarter of a scoop of the GI lining support to support the gut associated lymphatic tissue with that L glutamine in there. Um, you could also, which we've been using regularly anyway, but more of an emphasis, if you guys aren't in your household, uh, grass fed way for immunoglobulins. Um, I've actually given her the, um, protect, uh, it's, it's called, I think SBO, SBI protect, SBI protect yeah. by orthomolecular. orthomolecular yep. yep. And it's just an IgG concentration, um, because those immunoglobulins are what helps our immune system to make the antibodies, um, if based on exposure to pathogen. Um, so the grass fed way is fantastic. And, and even just an IgG, I only give her that when she actually is ill. Okay. Whereas the grass fed way is the pre, pre preemptive element. Um, microbiome, Stella gets the kids biotic every single day, but for her first week back at school, we added in a third instead of just the two. And then she does eat, um, yogurt. We only pull out dairy yogurt if she has mucus and phlegm. And so she's been doing dairy yogurt or like my almond butter pancakes, um, as a breakfast on rotation, she's always getting at least 15 to 20 grams of protein right off the bat at breakfast time. Again, protein is so important. And then beyond the, uh, she's a pretty big microbiome boosted kid because she loves kombucha. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> she like demands her her kombucha on a daily it's an basis. evening ritual. <laughs> yes, if mom's having a glass of wine, she's definitely yep. cheering me with a glass of kombucha. Yeah. Um, so yes, a uh, great way to create a robust immune system with microbiome diversity. So having probiotic supplementation in the kids' biotic, and then um, using a probiotic-rich food daily, really important. Um, we are using essential oils in her bedroom a couple nights a week and she really enjoys them. Um, so eucalyptus, lavender are two that we go to, um, and they have antiviral and antibacterial support. Um, we're keeping nasal passages moistened using the Exlear, which is that nasal spray. And we spray her nose after school every day. Um, just to, again, based on what she's been exposed to, just kind of resets the system and helps her mucosal membranes to get rid of anything that doesn't belong there. Um, and giving her exposure to fresh air is really important. So she's outside for at least two hours a day. We try to clock in, uh, vitamin D from the sunlight. And then she is doing the vitamin D balanced blend because it's fat soluble. Um, I do it about three or four times a week with her and just double the dosage. And, and that works really well for our household. Awesome. And I know she's better with that nasal spray than, than most adults that I know. She's like, okay, she it's digs just, it. Yeah. It just tickles. It's going to be fine. It uh -huh. doesn't hurt. She's into it. She goes right for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh yeah. And same thing with like hand washing. We, we have that as a big ritual at home as well. So we just use, of course, soap, not antibacterial soap. Um, just hand soap, like Dr. Bronner's cast style soap. And, um, you know, when she comes home from school, we wash our hands. I wipe her face with a warm, um, washcloth. Um, just because I do that anyway, because I mean, there's always stuff, yeah. sticky yeah. stuff and 
marker and whatever. And um, yeah, then I do the, no, the nose spray and that's kind of our boom, boom, boom. And then I ask her if she's hungry or satisfied and if she'd like a snack and we go on with our day. And I, I would mention with the food thing, I don't have to call it for Stella because she's a pretty fat fueled kiddo, but the importance of limiting refined carbohydrates mm-hmm. and sugar. Uh, we've seen in, in research time and time again that when blood sugar levels are elevated um, or if the child's on that roller coaster of blood sugar highs and lows, that the white blood cell um, count is often suppressed. And that is our body's primary you know, chemical immune mediation. Yep. And we'll have an episode coming up for those of you chomping at the bit for like kiddo recommendations and food. We do one every year as kind of a recap of Stella's birthday and just kind of check in on where she's at with food. So coming soon-ish Yes, in the next month or so. Okay. Yes. So that's all kind of layering barrier foundation work and support. Um, and then what about additional recommendations, just looking at white blood cell health and, yeah. and supporting the immune system in that way? So I have also been now, actually, as of like mid-April, I started to give her a Bio-C Plus capsule. Um, So that is 600 milligrams of vitamin C. I'll give her either one or a half of one um, daily. And I incorporate that with something tangy, so it works really well. And I've been incorporating now with the new research on glutathione and um, the impact of cytokine storms, and as we're seeing more of the inflammatory risk factor within this, um, the cellular antioxidants from my line, which yesterday I tried to incorporate. She, she did it. She's such a trooper. I incorporated a capsule yesterday with a small scoop of grass fed chocolate ice cream. Oh no. And, the um, ice cream. it's, it's very acidic. <laughs> yeah. It's very, okay. the cellular antioxidants, I will tell you guys very clearly, it's very acidic. Okay. It worked much better in like a mango raspberry smoothie yeah. bite. And I like to incorporate pills like this for her in just a bite. So what I'll do is I'll make a smoothie and then I'll take like a ramekin and I'll open a capsule, I'll stir it up and then I'll do like a quick big spoon in her mouth. And then she gets to use the smoothie as like a chaser versus getting the whole smoothie to taste mm-hmm. in that profile. Yeah. But yeah, she was funny. She was like, um, this is like lemon in my, in my <laughs> chocolate. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, and I just, I'm, I'm not going to lie to her. I was like, I put cellular antioxidants in it. I'm sorry. She's like, oh, my glutathione. She's known that word like since age two, I think. Yeah, she does. Glutathione. Glutathione. Um, and it's so important, especially as they're going back into this transition, because if they are stressed, remember that vitamin C is such a big player with cortisol regulation. And so... Even for your kiddos, if they're anxious and stressed, they're likely coming at a lower vitamin C status. So that would be a strong consideration. And the Bio-C Plus is unique in the form that it has the acerola cherry um, as the primary food form, as well as the bioflavonoids, the quercetin, and the antioxidants that we see in citrus, which also um, hesperitin. Hesperitin? I always say that one weird. I think that's right-ish. Also supportive of of respiratory function. (laughs) So these are all kind of more timely, but a a great one to consider and definitely to have in your pantry if your Mm -hmm. child does get ill. Yeah. Um, So we'll include links to all of the formulas that we talked about in the show notes. I wanted to ask Allie off script, um, just about maybe some some resources or just um, a little bit of wisdom on having these difficult conversations with your school or teachers or people who are going to be interacting with your child. I know we were talking a little bit about like when my baby is born, like I'm going to have to have a conversation with my in-laws if they're still masking about 
how that's not going to fly in my household, but how to approach these conversations with sensitivity um, and also to feel like you are grounded in actual scientific fact. Like I know you sent some emails to the school, as you mentioned. Yeah. What are your pointers there? So I will put actually, how about in, in my show notes, my email to the school. Yeah. I think that's probably the best place to put it. I can put it in a blog and link it. We'll figure it out, but we'll put that as a resource for you guys where I did note the literature on masks. Um, but I think that this is just a time to sit and, and open up your mind and hearts to what the narrative is and and what feels right to you. So if we go forward with the mainstream messaging of the fact that we need to be separated and sterilized and wait for a vaccine to be saved, um, what does that feel like in your heart of hearts and, and in your gut? How does this new school experience feel for you with sending your kids back with them all wearing masks and walking one directional and not having cafeteria and not having playground and not having collaboration in their play? Does that feel right to you in your heart of hearts? And we have to just take a step back and start thinking about why it doesn't matter to go down the rabbit hole of why we're here, I guess, um, you know, of, of why maybe the messaging doesn't have our best interest, why we're not learning about the importance of vitamin D and why we're not learning about the importance of understanding what acquired immunity is and what herd immunity is and the messaging of asymptomatic carriers being selfish. But what makes most sense to you and how your daily decisions in your household either support or deteriorate this, what I would call broken narrative. Because if you think of that first day of school, whether that's in September or whether that's in the next couple weeks, and you're showing up to drop your kid off at school wearing a mask, you're buying into one narrative. If all of the moms collectively parked their car and came out of the school with their children holding their hands, not wearing masks, that's a completely different narrative. And so by our daily behaviors and decision choices, we create a part of our environment. And what I'm hoping is by us listening and being open-minded and thinking rationally is that we're going to say no. We're going to say this doesn't make sense. This is more harmful than it is supportive of our children's health. And the buck stops here. Because if there's one anti-vax crazy mom in the classroom, this will not change. If she continues to get battered by media of being crazy and witchcrafty and whatnot. But if all of the moms collectively say, this stops here, we're not doing this disservicing of our children. We want them to be collaborative. We want to have a community re-enriched again and we want to reconnect. And we all know that the body is capable then those 30 moms compared to the maybe one mom that wants the mask changes the narrative of what is normalcy, what is support, what is progression, and and how do we get through this together? Yep. And I think if you're having those thoughts, likely people around you are too. It's just a matter of starting the conversation, being sensitive-ish yeah. <laughs> to where people are coming from and, and trying to be open-minded and, and you'll find your people. 
Yes. They're out there. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> hug your neighbor, <laughs> hug your kids for sure. Be kind to them. Create a mellow environment of positivity and be fierce, mamas. Listen to your gut and be fierce. Let your truth be known. Start sharing it from the rooftop because it's not coming from your television. And if you don't share it, we may find ourselves in five, 10 years in, in this reality. And, and I just know that if we allow sterility and these messages to continue to, to perpetuate, that we are compromising our immune system to the whole world of pathogen. And it's not just about this one virus. Mm -hmm. This is the conversation of what is health? What is the natural world? What is the interference and need of big pharma? And where do we sit with all of this? So I hope that this was enlightening in some sense that I'm sure there's some areas that, um, you know, we, we will see differently, but as long as we can come at this with open minds and open hearts, I think collectively we can navigate this in a, in a more favorable, realistic and nurturing way. Thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.